2: The National Championship game is upon us where Alabama will square off against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And we'll cover it all on this episode of Prospects 101. The show where we break down football prospects from all levels. High school prospects, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. Now we would not be able to have this podcast without our great partners, Blue Wire Pods and BetOnline. It's a huge shout out to them. And remember, you can always interact with Prospects101 on social media at Prospects101pod. And again, that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Two-man show today as Pastel is in flight. Uh, For those that don't know, he's being being deployed, but he still may be able to join us every once in a while. But uh, for tonight's a two-man show, Uh, Kenny Keller, as always, uh, great for you to always join us. Talk some good college football tonight.
0: What's up, man, dude? What a uh, what a crazy what a crazy 2020 season that's finally going to wind down to an end. I, I got to admit, I'm kind of ready for the season just to wrap. Or I'm ready for the chaos to kind of subside and and just let things simmer for a little bit. Get start getting ready for the draft and then really open up next season with a fresh slate. But yeah. it's it's championship week, man. I'm excited.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think we're just. You know, anybody who's listened to our podcast the last couple weeks can obviously tell the frustration that comes from all three of us when we're talking about college football, what the season meant, the, you know, potentially what was going on behind closed doors, um, the bowl season, just all of it just didn't sit with a lot, didn't sit right with a lot of us. So uh, I'm with you, Kenny, but. I am excited for the national championship game, and we'll talk a lot about that tonight. Um, but before we get to top news, I, I do have a bone to pick. I don't have a bone to pick with you, but I have a okay. feeling you're going to agree with me on this. This is what, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that family guy, but this is what grinds my gears. You know what grinds my gears? Sports journalism in this for college football in two realms. One, NFL mocks that come out are hot trash these days even worse all-american teams <laughs> okay i'm looking at the ap all-american team and i'm oh, looking yeah. at the uh gosh what's the second one the the oh. afca which is american uh, football, football coaches. coaches association all-american team some of these are you kidding me who's on this list like did you watch any games this year Right. Like, could you read any more hot take articles online and then come up with your All-American team? Kenny, can you tell me any reason why Derek Stingley should be on an All-American team?
0: No, I I, I sh- not this year. No. I mean, last year, yes. But this year, absolutely not. And I had the same thing. With Sean Wade as well. There we go. You you took it right out of my mouth. Sean Wade's on all these All-American teams. And I'm like, dude, they they had to play that guy outside, but he might be a good slot corner. I'm not going to take that away from him. But they played him out on the boundary this year multiple times, and he just got repeatedly cooked. Like part of the reason they were having secondary issues is because they had to move him from the slot to the boundary, and he's awful on the boundary. If this guy plays the boundary in the NFL, good night. That's going to be terrible. But, yeah, there's some definitely head scratchers, man. I I don't get a lot of it, especially Derek Stingley. And you know me. I'm a big, big Derek Stingley guy. I see Dylan Moses is on here too. Oh, my
2: gosh. That's the other bone I got to pick, dude. So in preparation of the show, I brought up my pro football focus account. Um, Let me tell you about Sean Wade. In the draft class of 2021 – Right, So anybody who was able to go in the NFL in 2021, they had to have played a minimum of 20 snaps, which is 910 snaps or more. Sean Wade played 437. You know where he's ranked amongst all players that are eligible for the draft that played at least 20% of snaps? Where? 69th. Ugh. Had a defensive grade of 662. Uh run defense a little bit better in the past, but just coverage was at 60. I mean, just garbage. He had a terrible season. And then Dylan Moses, like, I I pulled this up too. I think I I put uh, guys who are draft eligible, and I think he was like – I think he was like in the 40s or 50s. I mean, it's just – like, he didn't have a very good season, and then he's on all these lists, and I'm like – What the heck did he do? I I, I see – you know what I see him? I see him lost. I see him – he gets on an offensive lineman, and he gets driven like eight yards behind the line – or uh, past the line of scrimmage. I I don't get it. Like I feel like journalism used to be better than this, and And now all we do is read all these articles, and then we come up with an All-American list based on the articles we read instead of what we see on the field.
0: Well, what's even worse about this All-American list, this particular one, is the AFCA is the coaches' association. Like, coaches vote on this. So, like, you would think it would be better, but then we sit here and look at the film, and then you see guys on the second team who clearly should be first-teamers. Like, Ahmad Gardner was arguably the best cornerback in all of football this year for Cincinnati. He's on the second team, which that's just G5, just as more G5 disrespect. You've got guys like Patty Fisher on second team behind Dylan Morris. He should definitely be on there. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and provide more examples of of guys. Like Patrick Jones, defensive lineman not being first team. Him and Rashad Weaver, I don't care if they play for the same team or not. Both of those guys should have been first team All-Americans. Like, it's crazy. I am I am happy, though, that Teron Jackson is on there. He yeah. definitely deserved to be. And then Jalen Phillips was a no-doubter as well. That guy might – do Jalen Phillips might might be the only guy who could give Zayvon Collins a run for his money for best defensive player of the year, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, no kidding. No, I'm with you on that. Patrick Sertan, very well deserving. I'm
0: yeah. um, totally
2: with totally with that on that. All the Alabama players on offense totally get that. All that makes a lot of sense. But like Dylan Moses, so I pulled this up. Pro Football Focus. So uh, <laughs> same same type of things. Guys that are eligible. This year and next year, had to play 50% of 794 snaps. Now, I'll give this to Dylan Moses. He played a lot of snaps this year, 777 out of the, out of the eligible 794, um, ranked 120th. Yes. Um, I just – I don't know. I mean,
0: I don't it's know. It's just – it's lazy, man. I mean, It's lazy journalism. No- there's nothing that can be said other than it's lazy. I mean, look, I'm the biggest Derek Stingley Jr. fan, and he should be nowhere near an All America list at all. Not even an honorable mention All America list. No, not even not even, a, not even an honorable mention SEC. All All SEC teams should even be. I mean, it's just the, it's just. There's super no low.
2: way you can put an LSU defensive player anywhere near an All Anything team. <laughs> uh, That's ridiculous. Anyways, all right, I got off my chest. I was just reading that and show prep, and I just couldn't believe what my eyes were seeing. Oh, unbelievable. Anyways, all right, Kenny, let's get into some top news, Uh, a a lot of top news, actually. And we'll we'll, we'll start off with this one, though, because I I think um, we'll go in chronological order here. Uh, Let's go Ohio State and Alabama throttle Clemson and Notre Dame in the college football semifinals, that Bama throttling Notre Dame, kind of expected. I didn't think any of us saw OSU completely dominating Clemson in all three phases.
0: Yeah, I mean, both games pretty much complete blowouts. Um, I think Clemson jumped up early, uh, if I recall, 7 uh, nothing, and then it was just basically all downhill from there. Ohio State got hot quick. They scored quick. Uh, they had a lot of chunk plays. I think I saw something – Uh, I think I saw a stat and I I might, I could be quoting it wrong, but I think Justin Fields was six of seven uh, for like 250 yards and three touchdowns. of passes over 25 yards or something like that. Uh, It was absolutely insane how lethal he was throwing the ball downfield. Um, And then Alabama did what Alabama does. They go in, you know, they handle business as usual against Notre Dame. You know, it was, The score wasn't necessarily a huge blowout, but the game was never close. You and I watched a lot of that game, and it just, I mean, it was what it was. They manhandled him from from the opening snap. Uh, Najee Harris was a beast. Devonta Smith, beast. I mean, you name it, and they just beasted out. I I, I don't think there's anything else I could say about it other than these two teams clearly should be playing for the national championship based on, on how the semifinals went.
2: Yeah, very disappointed in Clemson on defense. I, I thought – now, they there were two big things in the game. I think their uh, one of their starting safeties, kind of a, a team leader of sorts, was out the first half. You could obviously see how much that impacted, and that was due to uh, – I think he got ejected from the ACC championship That was game. Nolan, Nolan, um, Nolan so, Turner, yep. Yeah, Nolan Turner. Uh, without Turner's impact in the secondary, you can easily see that Ohio State – had that in their playbook um, that they wanted to kind of hit them and hit them big. How to say it scored on five straight possessions, five straight times. So that's kind of incredible. If you think of how good the talent on Clemson's defense is. And then, um, you know, the ejection of uh, uh, Skolasky um, or however you pronounce it. Is it Sk- I think it's Skolaski, Yeah. Yeah. Skolaski, Yeah. And that, that one was a tough one to swallow for me personally. I wasn't. Wasn't overly pulling for Clemson, but I am a Clemson fan. Uh, when you see something like that happen, as a guy who used to play that position, a uh, really bang bang fields was in a mid spin, kind of an awkward spin. It just it didn't it didn't sit right with me. But the rules are what the rules are, and I think the NCAA is going to have to take a look at that um, and really kind of redo these rules these targeting rules, because that's second time a guy has been thrown out of a a, a, a game that had these kind of uh, ramifications due to, in my opinion, football plays that happen to fall under the definition of targeting. So I think they're going to have to take a look at that. But, hey, look, give credit where credit's due. Ohio State played outstanding on the offensive side of the football. They kept the ball out. Of Clemson's hands, they say, "Hey, you're going to have to beat us in a shootout tonight." And Clemson couldn't keep up with them, and I, I think that was the, the biggest indictment on the Clemson secondary and how much work that they have to do. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's a little bit on uh, on Brett Venerables too. I, you know, I talked to a lot of people that are are big, you know, college football fans, guys that I've coached with, and you know. He's always kind of got the benefit of the doubt because he's coaching four and five stars, so he's got athletes out there. So, really, it's easy to do what he wants to do. Um, but when you get in these big games, it's it's interesting to see how that plays out. Now, to say I think Venerable is a really good coach, and he has national championships to show for it. So, But just, just interesting, kind of an indictment against that Clemson defense that they were not as good as we had thought. And I think there were indications of that earlier in the year when we saw teams like Boston College give them a run for, uh, run for the money. So, um, you know, we have a national championship set up. Uh, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, you know, Alabama is in there against Ohio State, and uh, it'll be a great battle on, you know, on Monday evening. Um, next, kind of chronological, what happened, Texas fires Tom Herman and then hires Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, from Alabama five hours later, obviously, unless you live under a rock. You know that they didn't interview him within five hours and hire him. This is clearly something that was going behind the scenes. Um, interesting that it happened so late in the game, Kenny.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder what really changed because obviously they were courting Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer turned him down. And I, I forget the other coach they were courting, but they were they were trying to get someone else to, to flip to Texas and they turned him down as well. And it kind of seemed like Herman – was safe you know he got to coach the bowl game he won the bowl game even though I don't think winning a game against Colorado was necessarily going to save him from from being on the hot seat next season it didn't do it in the coolest seat down but they did win and and then all of a sudden a couple days later we hear you know he's fired and Sark is hired I don't know if maybe Sark you know maybe they were they were they were sticking on some contract details or what but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I know what I'm really curious about is if Sark – recruiting's always pretty easy at Texas, but the one thing Texas just hasn't been able to do is develop the four- and five-stars that have been coming into the program. That's really the biggest difference. The biggest thing that they need for Texas is a coach who can develop talent yep. because that's what's been lacking since – I don't know. Mac Brown left, essentially. Uh, I got fired, but I mean, even before that he was having issues developing talent as well. They haven't developed talent consistently since 2008, 2009. So since Colt McCoy was there, that's, that's, what's going to be interesting. That's the biggest challenge that Sark needs to pick up is developing talent because the talent's there. It's just not being utilized.
2: Yeah. I think talent, uh, Specifically, developing defensive talent, I think, is going to be his biggest kind of day one thing. You want to get good fast, get good on defense, uh, and get good on special teams, and the offense will eventually come. Um, I, the, the hire doesn't surprise me. I guess the way that the hi, that the process went, I thought, was a little little interesting for me. The fact that they fire him so far after after the bowl game. Um, you know, just tells me that they had been in discussions with Sark behind the scenes. I wonder how much Herman was surprised by it. Uh, but look, Sark Sark's been a head coach at, at two power five schools. Um one I would say is a tier two, the other one's a tier one. Um, you know, and, and he wasn't overly successful there. But you know, Sark was a winner. He inherited a Washington program that was 0-12, and, and then by the time he had left he was putting out consistent eight and four seasons. Um, and he did that a lot by improving the recruiting and improving the talent and improving, obviously, the play on the field. Um, and then, obviously, goes to USC and had his struggles there. But I think this Steve Sarkeesian is a little bit different in the sense that he's not the same fiery Sark that we saw at UW and saw at USC. And there's been some articles that have come out about that, that he's really mellowed out. He's really kind of a different guy. And I wonder if being under Saban has really kind of taught him how to be more of a manager and not necessarily necessarily be the the fiery leader that he was at UW and USC. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm really curious who he's going to hire to run the defense. I know Will Muschamp turned him down. Um, that, that doesn't surprise me too, too much. Hard to go back to a place where you were the coach in waiting and uh, go back and be the defensive coordinator. Yeah, so. no
0: kidding. It, it will be interesting to see who he picks up. We know he's got a quarterback in place. You know, Casey Thompson came in in the second half of that Texas-Colorado game and absolutely just dominated. I think he was 8 of 10 with four touchdowns and, like, 200 yards or something ridiculous like that. So it looks like he's got a good quarterback who will be a third-year junior, you know, coming into the coming into the program. He's got a quarterback with him, some experience. He was a high recruit. He was a four-star dual threat. So, you know, and then you got another guy named Hudson Card, who's a really, really high recruit, a good quarterback, who's going to be the backup. So, you know, he, he's got offensive talent there. He's got quarterback talent there. And we know Sark is good with quarterbacks. It's one of the things that attracted Bryce Young and Tua Tagovailoa to Alabama was that Steve Sarkisian was there. So – We'll see. You know, it's hey, sink it's or swim for Stark. This this might this is it. If it don't work out here, I don't I don't know if he's ever going to get another big time P five shot again. So this yeah. is this sink or swim time for him. You know, you I, you you don't you you fall you flame out at USC and then you get fired or flame out of Texas. There's not much room left for you to go of up up yeah. the upper echelon.
2: Yeah, and here's what I'll say about Texas, and it's so funny. We were. You know, out and about when that came. When that came, and you looked at me, you're like, "Well, who do you think they're going to hire?" And I looked at you and I said, "I I think Texas sees themselves so far behind Oklahoma and so far behind Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. I think they try to dip into that well and see if they can't try to find lightning in a bottle." to try to catch mm-hmm. up, right? They're trying to find mm-hmm. the guy who's in those hallways, understands that culture and can bring that type of culture to Texas. And that's exactly what they did just because they are so far behind in my opinion. I mean, they're not you know, I, I don't think it's the talent I I'm not sure if it's the talent thing, um, but they are behind. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They haven't won a Big 12 championship since what? 2010. Something like Uh, that. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, we're talking a a close to a decade, over
0: a decade. Yeah.
2: So I think Texas saw themselves falling very behind. They didn't want the G five coach. They didn't want, um, you know, the up and coming P five guy who came from Louisville. They wanted a guy who sat next to Nick Saban for two years, knew already how to run a program, and they got they got their guy and. And I agree with you. This is kind of Sark's last moment, sink or swim. So,
1: yeah. Hey, everyone. Pastel here. Before we get started in today's pod, I just want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, question and answers with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program, it is limited, so get your application today. To apply, go to Blue, Blue Wire Hustle, so that's bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description in the box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com/slash/join.
2: Yep. Uh, la- lastly, some Heisman news. Obviously, if you guys watched the Heisman ceremony last night, Devonte Smith, wide receiver from Alabama, wins the Heisman. He was the odds-on favorite to win. Not a lot, I think. What was shocking is that at the beginning of the season, if you had told people that Devontae Smith was going to be the Heisman Trophy winner, a lot of people would have told you that you were absolutely insane. Um, I love this kid. Love the makeup. Uh, He's just a complete competitor. Very quiet. Just kind of reserved. But he just goes out there and he balls out, man. I mean, just does nothing but just beat the drums off of corners.
0: I mean, look, he's the best player on the best team in the country and I don't even necessarily think it's close. I guess you could probably give some 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 credit to maybe Harris or Jones as being the best player on that team, but Devonta Smith's the best player on the team, and he does it all. He scores and, and dominates on special teams. He goes out there, and even after Jalen Waddell gets hurt, Continues to put up monster numbers, multiple 200 yard games. I mean, this is a guy everybody knew the football was going to him. It wasn't a surprise. He can run every route that you want him to run. He makes ridiculous plays in the end zone. Go, if you need an example, go look at his touchdown against LSU uh, in in the back of the back corner of the end zone. Absolutely incredible. I mean, he's got everything you want. Plus, he's putting up huge numbers, and he's on the best team in the country. So, you know, the Heisman to me is generally should be the best player on the best team, and, and that's who he is. So I, I think they got it right. Um, you know, I don't really have any gripes. I was surprised to see Trevor Lawrence finish second in the voting. That was pretty interesting because I didn't even have him in, in my top five ballot. So I, I thought that was pretty unique, but, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't hate it. I'm not like, oh, my gosh, you know, what a bunch of idiots. But that just that caught me by surprise. Do you know what the order was? It was Smith, Lawrence, Jones, and Trask. I believe that was the that was the uh, order.
2: That's interesting because Mac Jones basically went and broke all of Joe Burrow's records, and he ends up third. And Joe Burrow ended up having the, the widest margin at ninety one percent. You mean, you, just,
0: mean, you, mean, you, mean you, you mean Trask broke all of Joe Burrow's records, right? I'm sorry, Trask,
2: not Mac Jones. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He finished fourth. Well, you know, I'm losing four games. Well, they, unfortunately, when you lose games, man, if you're the only guy I can remember on a team that was like kind of an average team to win the Heisman was Lamar Jackson. I think I think Louisville was like eight and three that year or nine and four going into the Heisman ceremony, but he was so much just unbelievably better than everybody else So you kind of had no choice but to give it to him. But you look, know, man. The, the guys who normally win it are, are on our own playoff teams. They're on teams yeah. that win, but, you know, and, and that's mainly who wins or, you know, people who are going to, you know, back in the day, BCS national title games. So uh, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think I, I always, to me, there's always a, I, I've always measured it as in, like, who's the best player? And if that best player is not heads and shoulders above everybody else, a la Lamar Jackson, then who's the best player? Player on the best team, and then if that if that person doesn't if there's not really an argument to make, who's the best player on the second team, second best team, and like that's kind of how I've always looked at it is I go I look at who's the best player overall in college football, and if they're not head and shoulders above everybody else, then I start going down the list. Yeah,
2: yeah, I get I get you there. So uh, again, not not too too much of a surprise. Devonta Smith again was the odd on favorite, and and good to see. <laughs> Good to see a non-quarterback win it. I always like when a non-quarterback or a non-running back wins it. Yep. I think that's cool. I think that's kind of what makes it fun. Me too. Um, I agree. So, so good there. So, All right, Kenny, let's get into some national championship <clears throat> talk, and I want to cover some prospects to watch in this national championship game. So why don't you kick it off with four guys that you have your eye on on Monday night.
0: Yeah, uh, so starting off, Patrick Sertan, cornerback out of Alabama, is who I'm going to keep a very close eye on. He's in a heated battle for the top defensive back prospect in the draft. He's a potential top-ten pick. All eyes are going to be on him because Ohio State has some baller receivers, and you're talking about guys like Chris Olave, Julian Fleming, Wilson. I mean, I, I go on and on. They've got a very deep wide receiver uh, core, and they're facing – the second best quarterback in the country behind Trevor Lawrence in in Justin Fields. So Patrick Sertan is going to get tested a ton. And his, you know, I'm not saying it's going to affect his draft stock really one way or the other. Like, I don't think a bad performance is necessarily going to tank his stock, but a great performance could absolutely elevate his stock. So I, I think I'm going to keep a big eye on him. My next guy is Wyatt Davis, offensive lineman out of Ohio State. He's going up against a very, very tough, Alabama front four, led by Christian Barmore, defensive tackle, who's probably going to be a first-round pick. So this is a good chance for Davis to kind of get back on draft, you know, the first day draft boards again. He's kind of slid a little bit. He hasn't necessarily had a dominating year like most people expected him to have. He was at one point, if you remember, Pastel, our co-host, had projected him as a top-ten pick in our first mock draft, uh, which I thought was a little – Crazy considering he's an interior lineman I think it drafting an interior lineman in the top ten is a little nutty. Um but also he was to, he was a part timer last year too. So yeah. That just goes to show you how far his draft stock has fallen because right now he's not considered a day one pick. He's considered an early day two pick. But a great performance against a very tough defensive line and a very good Christian Barmore could go could go could pay big dividends leading up to the draft come April for him. My next guy is Chris Olave for the opposite reason of why I'm excited to watch Patrick Sertan is why I'm excited to watch Chris Olave. I gotta admit, wide receiver from Ohio State. I have to admit, I I was wrong on this guy. I was not a huge fan of his coming into this season. I thought he was kind of an overrated prospect. I didn't think he really did anything special. But the more I watch him play, Gus, he is such a perfect route runner this guy does not make sloppy routes he does not run sloppy routes he's unbelievable and you could tell when he's when he's in the zone when he's playing well that whole offense just clicks because look at the difference when he was out against northwestern in the big 10 championship game and then look to to a couple of weeks later playing clemson in the semifinal game and him and justin fields just had a field day against that clemson secondary like, I, I think you could just tell Justin Fields is a lot more comfortable when Olave is on the field. And, and I'm really excited to see what he can do against elite-level competition. He's going to be probably matched up all game long with Patrick Sertan. And if he can eat, if he can cook, he, it's really going to help his draft stock in a very, very crowded wide receiver uh, class this year. And then my last guy is Najee Harris, running back at Alabama. Bama. He went out there and dominated Notre Dame last week. I mean, he made some jaw-dropping runs. He, he leaped over a guy, you know, made a couple spin moves, broke some tackles. He just runs so gracefully, but with power. Like, it's, it's quiet power. And I'm really excited to see what he could do against, you know, pretty solid Ohio State defense who shut down Trevor Etienne last week. They, you know, they, they made them one-dimensional. They took away the run and made Clemson try and air it out, and they got up quick. And it just rolled downhill all from there. So I, I'm excited to see what he can do against another top-level defense. I was very, very impressed with the way he played against, which I would consider a top-five defense in Notre Dame last week. So I'm really excited to see Najee Harris square off and see what kind of impact he can make against this uh, you know, pretty stout Ohio State defense.
2: Love Najee Harris. I, I think he keeps up going on my draft board the more I watch him. I think he has improved even more this season – not only the way he's been able to pass catch and pass protect, but the way he's been able to run the rock. So I it, I, I
0: like Najee Harris a lot, man. Is I it, think if there's – go ahead. Is it crazy to think that I'm kind of flirting with making him my number one running back on my draft board this year, this this offseason?
2: I don't think it's crazy at all. I, I, it, to, to me, if you're an NFL GM, what is there not to like about Najee Harris? He can literally – he can do it all. Like he – he can catch passes, he can pass protect, he can run in the tackles, he's got enough speed in the open field, and he's a bigger guy, so we believe that he's going to be durable. So, I I, I personally think that Najee Harris is going to be my number one running back. Um, I love Etienne, but just the more I watch Harris, the more and more I like him, man. I agree. I'm with you. So, all right, let me get into my four. Uh, first one's Mac Jones. Uh, love this kid. Uh, he's shown such great moxie all season. Great player. Decent arm, but for the most part, he's just extremely accurate. I mean, he places pin, pin, pinpoint accuracy on all of his passes. He's able to find the open guy. His completion percentage is just through the roof. He does exactly what that offense requires him to do, and to be quite honest with you, it may make him – one of the first six quarterbacks taken, if he chooses to go into the NFL draft and not come back to Alabama, I think he's going to give Ohio State all they can handle uh, <clears throat> because of how accurate of a passer is he, how accurate of a passer he is. So, really looking forward to see what he can do against that Ohio State defense. Uh, Sean Wade, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Really a disappointing 2020 campaign. And a, and a prospect that really needs to show up big it, when the lights are biggest in the national championship game. There's no doubt about it. If he can have an outstanding game against a daunted Alabama receiving core, I think that he starts to gain a lot more favor in the eyes of scouts and show that, hey, I can play a boundary side corner. I can be a press defender. So I think he has a lot to prove, so I'm really looking – uh, to watch him uh, on Monday night against that, again, scary Alabama uh, receiving core. And to be honest with you, I don't know if they match up Sean Wade against Devontae Smith. I think they no may alternate and try to throw
0: some different looks. Well, here's, um, here's what I'm cu- consider- curious is if they put Devontae in the slot and make Wade cover him because that's where, that's where Wade plays. Wade plays a lot out of the slot. So may, if Waddle comes back, maybe they line Waddle and Mechie up with the, the X and the Z or, sorry, the X and the Y, and then play um, Devonta at the Z.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe. I think they're going to move – they move those guys around so well, though. Whether he's an outside guy, an inside guy, they move them around. They, they do a really good job. Sark does a great job doing that. Uh, next guy, Alex Leatherwood. This guy was really high on my draft board at the start of the season. He hasn't he hasn't had a bad season, but he hasn't had a great season either. Yeah. Um, you know, pro football focus overall had him at a 79.4. Looks like that's 20, That's best for 20. Um, you know, I, I did it by pass blocking, but you look at his run blocking, pretty good run, to, run blocker, uh, probably one of the best in college football. I wouldn't say he's a first-round draft pick, but he's borderline. I think you could see him go late first. But it also depends on how many teams need left tackles. The one thing I like about Alex is that he's very versatile. He's played the guard position. He's played right tackle. So I think NFL scouts are going to love him. But, hey, this is going to be maybe the best defensive front you see all season. So I like to see him have a huge game at left tackle, open up a lot of holes, and really protect – Mac Jones' blind side in order to give him enough time to find Devontae Smith down the field. Last guy, Christian Barmore. Again, no doubt about it, this guy has had an absolutely dynamic season. He was the uh, third highest ranked defensive tackle and pro football focus and really only lost out by .4 points, so easily could have been the number one interior defensive player. A complete force. He's dominant. I love his pass rush ability. And I think what you're going to see from him is his ability to collapse the pocket on Justin Fields to try to make him uncomfortable. So looking forward to see what Christian Barmar can do against that, that offensive front specifically led by Wyatt Davis for Ohio state. So Kimmy, those are the four guys that I'm really interested in. Is there anybody that I, I mentioned or maybe somebody I didn't mention that you're looking forward to see?
0: Um, you know, not really. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to see what um, Garrett Wilson does as the second wide receiver. He's not really draft eligible, so I, I don't want to put him as a prospect to watch, but I'm a big fan of Wilson. I think he's going to be a first-round pick when he's eligible out of Ohio State uh, wide receiver. So I'm really excited about him. But I don't know, man. I feel like these these eight guys we mentioned are pretty much the blue-chip prospects everybody needs to watch. You know, these guys are going to be probably the eight highest drafted players on the field, um, you know, except for maybe you know, the center out of Alabama, but he's got a busted knee and he's not playing, so it's kind of irrelevant, but I think these are the guys, these are the eight guys we all need to watch and pay attention to in this game, because all eight of those guys are going to be playing on Sunday next year, and all eight of these guys are most likely going to go within the first two days of the draft.
2: Yep, no doubt about it. All right, Kenny, let's get into some fatties. Let's get into our national championship wagers presented by our great sponsors, Bet Online. Kenny, give us three great bets that you can place on the national championship game on Monday.
0: Yeah, these three I took today and this morning, uh, Wednesday morning. Um, so this was before recording, this was about 12 hours ago. Uh, Ohio State versus Bama, obviously it's a national championship matchup. Bama's favored by seven and a half points. I took Bama and the points. I took the over 75. I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game. And I took as a prop bet that there will be a defensive or special teams touchdown plus 150. Felt like that was pretty safe. Both teams have electric punt returners. Obviously, Devonta Smith for Alabama. So he's a threat to score. Anytime he touches the ball, I feel pretty confident that that at some point there's going to be defensive or special teams touchdown. And to be honest, it might be the difference in the game. Who knows?
2: That's true. Yep, for sure. All right, I've, I've got four. Um, I'm going to copy your first two because I think they're no-brainers, to be honest with you. Uh, Bama, a minus 7.5. I'm going to take that. And I'm going to go the over 75 as well. I think that those are really good. Um, I've got two two prop bets that I think are really good. So hear me out on this first one. First score of the game Ohio State field goal get plus 800. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Ohio State knows they're going to have to score a lot of points, and they want to put it on the board first. So they're going to win the toss. They're going to take the ball. They're going to go down, and they're going to kick a field goal because they'll get stopped. Uh, or the, Alabama will be good enough to hold them to a field goal. It'll be like a third and five, and it'll be a drop pass. So I think that at plus 800 is definitely worth a decent play. Um, yeah. and then I have margin by the end of the first half, Alabama one to six points. That was plus six hundred. I thought that one was also a no-brainer to take because I think this game's gonna be really close. Probably up to half. I think I think this championship game to me is going to mirror last year's championship game. I, I, I equate Alabama to being really close to what LSU was last year. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Ohio State to me reminds me a lot of Clemson last year. Right? I just I think Alabama is just the better team, but I think that Ohio State's going to lay around, and I think they're going to make it a really close first half. Bama goes in, in into the half, maybe up a field goal, and then in the second half, I think that they you know they score a couple big drives, a couple big plays, and uh, they end up putting it away. But I think that Alabama one to six points. The margin by the end of the first half at plus six hundred. I think that that's a decent play if you want to make some decent cash.
0: I like it. I mean, both of those are good odds. Your Ohio State field goal and your Bama one to six. I mean, you know, the expected value on them plus eight hundred, plus six hundred. I think are definitely worth throwing a little bit of cash on, and and would not be surprised at all if either one of those hits. That's, those are good pool. Those are good props. Yeah. I might have to take you up on those and play them.
2: There you go. That's all Gless does on this podcast. Just throw fatties. I just make people money. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> all right, Kenny. Let's uh, wouldn't be prospects 101 if we didn't cover a little bit of recruiting, uh, recruiting and prospect news. So I think the biggest thing that has come out in the last week, uh, which I was excited for being a Pac-12 fan, Corey Foreman, the number one prospects uh, uh, in the country according to twenty four seven Sports, ended up staying at home and committing to USC. So really happy to see that. Kenny, what's kind of your instant reaction, and what do you think impact that has on the rest of recruiting?
0: Well, it's great for USC. It's great for the Pac-12, because up until this point, we talked about this on other podcasts, that they'd only had one five-star recruit, and that was your boy over at Washington, Heward, uh, who was a legacy. So USC lands the number one overall recruit in Corey Foreman. They're able to keep him home, which is a big deal. We talk, we always talk about putting a fence around your backyard. This guy's from Corona, California, so it, it's a big deal for USC to keep him home. You know, and they and they were getting. I mean, this was this guy was. They beat the big dogs for him. They beat Clemson. They beat Alabama. They beat uh, Ohio State. For I think that's a huge deal. We're seeing. I see a lot of comparisons of him of Cameron Jordan. Uh, A guy who's going to, you know, Cameron Jordan's a stud. He was a stud in college. He's been a stud in the NFL. This guy is 6'4, 265 pounds. He's already got an NFL body. Um, Reminds me a lot of Kayvon Thibodeau, but I think he's better. And we all saw what impact Kayvon Thibodeau has already had for Oregon. I mean, this is just good for everybody, Gless. You know, there's, there's, this is a, a breakaway from the cartel of power. We talked about that the other day on another podcast. Um, it, it's a you know USC is a big team obviously, but they haven't been playing like a big team. You know, hopefully this guy can come in and inject some life in the USC, and maybe we'll start to see another team get in the playoff picture. You'll see a team in the Pac-12 that can run with other team, other big teams in other conferences. I think USC can. I think we, you and I talked about this offline the other day. The skill players at USC are there. It's the interior line they've always had trouble with. I think you you were talking about a coach. You were you were mentioned you were talking to me the other day, Glus said that the skill players there are all NFL players. Yep. But the, the but the but the inside the interior guys are a bunch of like, you know, pillow fighters. So someone like Corey Foreman comes in there and starts putting some some respect on that defense and all of a sudden USC could be a, a team to reckon with.
2: Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I think what it does is it it, it helps the Pac twelve and their reputation so much, right? I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Look, a lot of Pac-12, you know, a lot of the biggest Pac-12 – I'm sorry, a lot of the biggest players, five stars, the last couple years, you know, especially at the quarterback position, have basically spurned the West Coast and they've gone East, right? Just look last year and uh, DJ Ungalele, you know, going to Clemson and Bryce Young Mm -hmm. going to Alabama. But, you know, these big teams, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Georgia – Florida. I mean, they've been slowly picking these five stars off the West Coast, and a lot of those guys haven't been staying at home. So I'm, I, I liked seeing that because I, I would like somebody in the West Coast to make the Pac 12 really relevant again in the national conversation. Actually, I should, I should, uh, I'm going to revamp my statement there. I would like to see anybody on the West Coast besides Oregon make the Pac 12 relevant again. So, (laughs) <laughs> you know, good to see Corey Foreman go home. I'd like to see this trend continue with uh, JT Tiamalu. Uh, I would love to see him commit to the Huskies. I think he's coming out in late January, early February. He's going to sign on actual signing day, uh, and that that's right. what he'll choose. And, again, that's between Ohio State, uh, Ohio State, Washington, Oregon, USC, and Alabama. But good thing to note, he has yet to visit Ohio State or Alabama. So, um, Dude, well not your sure boy if that says anything, but that's just what it is at this point.
0: Your boy Heward needs Sam Heward needs to organize like a Washington a Washington recruit day, like they did a Washington summit and get that guy to sign, man. Because if he signs with Ohio State, I'm gonna be so bummed about that. If he I signs know. with Ohio State, Bama, Clemson. <laughs> he signs with any of those three or Georgia, I'm gonna be so bummed because it's the top same top four. Like, come on, man. Let's get some new blood in there, Glass. I don't know. Call your dad up. Maybe he could he could arrange, you know, be a bag man or something. Let's go.
2: You That's got ties right. out
0: there. Make it happen.
2: That's right. Well, I think it's interesting for him. He could also it'll it'll be interesting to see where wherever he commits, where they put him. Right? So a lot of people think he's just going to be a defensive tackle, defensive end. I'm, I'm not so sure. I think he could be a tight end and be a Kyle Pitts-like player. Right? I mean, he's an all-state basketball player. has got Division one basketball offer. I mean, I, I, he's that kind of athlete. Great ball skills, great everything. So... It'll be interesting to to see where a team plays him. I think all the teams are recruiting him as a defensive player, but don't be surprised to see him a year or two from now being moved over to the offensive side of
0: the ball. He'd be tight if he played Ironman football and played tight end and defensive end.
2: Hey man, you, that'd be sick. You, you won't hear anything from me on that. So that'd all be right, sick. Uh, second second recruiting update. Deion Sanders continues to crush it on the recruiting trail. Has gotten a couple SEC. Transfer portal guys, but Kenny, tell us tell us about the four star receiver that he flipped this week.
0: Yeah, Trevante Rucker out of Vanguard, Florida. Um, you know, was originally committed. What crystal balls on twenty four seven? All had ten out of ten locks to Florida. That's where he was committed, and then Jackson State flips him uh, earlier this week to bring in there. I'm going to repeat this for you because this is a FCS program. To bring in their sixth four-star transfer or recruit in this signing class, in this 2021 class, Shader, Shadier Sanders, Travante Rucker, Dijon Warren, Kionis Miller, Abdul Malik McClain, and Isaiah Bolden. Now, those last three, um, Miller transferred from Auburn. McLean transfers from USC, and Bolden transfers from FSU. And then not only that, the um, Rucker was flipped from Florida, and I believe Warren, who came from Lackawanna Community College, flipped from a, being a Georgia commit to a Jackson State commit. So he's absolutely doing work right now. If you look at their all-time recruits, he literally already has – the top eight recruits ever in Jackson state history. They're all from this class. So I, the SWAC better be ready next year because I believe Dion's going to have these boys ready to play, man. They're going to have a bunch of dudes, a bunch of athletes, just that the FCS has not seen in the SWAC in a long, long time. I mean, you're talking, he's building a roster that's starting to rival JMU and North Dakota state for the type of talent they're bringing in. And Gless, I don't even know if JMU in North Dakota State, can claim in at least one class that they brought in six four-star players. They don't do that. They're just bringing in a bunch of three-star and maybe the occasional four who transfers in in the transfer portal, but not six. So if he keeps this up and they keep winning, Jackson State could turn into a monster in the FCS level very, very, very quickly. And I got to say, this is looking more and more like it's a home run hire, at least from the recruiting standpoint as of right now.
2: Like we said, Kenny, we're gonna say five years from now, this either the smartest hire in the history of football, or man, we're gonna talk about Jackson State how they don't have a football program anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they're just paying dudes left and right. And look, I know that sounds super cynical and and very unfair. Well, you I know, mean, we're not. I don't want to make it sound like we're insinuating that, but you just don't see this on the FCS level. Like this is six, very rare, very six, rare. Four-star recruits. Now, granted, once his son, I get that. That's fine, but six four-star recruits are now coming into that program, dude. This is a better recruiting class than like a majority of, of FBS teams. Like I don't know how I would better like, new I dub. Should,
2: better I new dub. We have like three four stars.
0: I should have looked and seen how many how many teams FBS teams actually had more than six or six or more uh, four-star recruits. I can't imagine. I know it's better than Wake Forest. I know it's better than Virginia Tech. I know it's better than UVA, I believe. Like, those are ACC teams. So, I mean, you're talking – they're recruiting at an elite level right now. It's incredible.
2: Your your Virginia Tech dig is just fantastic.
0: Well, I threw Wake Forest in there as well. I mean, (laughs) Wake Forest has the worst recruiting class in ACC, but that's expected. Like, we do that. Us and Duke battle for last and next to last in recruiting every year in the ACC. I just think it's funny that Virginia Tech's kind of hanging down in the slums with us hilarious
2: hilarious all right well we're gonna go ahead and get out of here for the evening but as always you can follow prospects 101 on social media instagram facebook twitter at prospects 101 pod please make sure that you subscribe to prospects 101 on your favorite podcast platform make sure that you stay up to date with the show as we release them and i gotta say kenny it is kind of sad this is going to be our our last real college football show Right, everything from now on yep. will be NFL draft related. We're going to talk, yep. we're going to talk mock drafts. We're going to talk uh, scouting combine. We're going to talk everything leading up to the NFL draft in, I believe it's in April again this year. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean, this is,
0: this is this is yeah, this is pretty much the last like college football centric show. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the national championship on our next show, but yeah, starting from after this episode. We're pretty much going to be full gear till April on the NFL draft, prospects, mock drafts, scouting reports, film breakdown. Like that's, that's where we're at now yep. for the next couple months.
2: And we, and we still got some big high school football news coming out too, man. Like signing day coming, on the second, yep. still some big fish out there. And uh, I think I can speak for true college football fans who would like to see the talent dispersed a little bit that we hope that those guys go somewhere else. And not to the same place. Please, please do it. Please, that's all I ask. But break up the cartel. Break up the cartel. For for Kenny,
1: I'm Glass. We'll talk to you next next week and enjoy the national championship game.